Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, good morning. There is definitely a war for our souls. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you are the God of all creation. You are the one who brings the sun to rise and the sun to set. And we thank you for this day that your will be done, O God, on earth, in and through us, all of us, as it's being done and declared in heaven, that we will not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not faint, that you are the Lord God that sustains your creatures, your people, Uh, and calls us unto yourself. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Lord God, but you are the one who finishes the work, Lord God, in us. And we thank you for salvation, which is the completion of your promise, which began even before the birth of Jesus, began in the garden. And so we thank you for that promise being kept and for us talking about it today, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to receive the revelation of your encouragement and your love. And we also come before you, Lord God, to ask you to reinforce the promise to us again, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. So I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you cover us, and Lord, that you are the faithful witness and the wonderful counselor. So give us wisdom and counsel through your word now regarding the birth of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, you know, there's a lot of very ordinary people that God used to bring forth um, the promise that he made in the garden. Honey, is that not true? Oh, my. You know, we could call these the, the, the cast of characters yeah. surrounding mm-hmm. the birth of Jesus. Just, the, you know, the birth of Jesus, uh, the main he's the main event, right? obviously. But the cast of characters is that just... That God used to set this... It's just really <laughs> fascinating. To bring this to the stage. And so we're going to look at some of those today. Yes, and there's a lot of them, and actually, um, you know, the story all began, really, as we already have alluded to, in the garden when uh, the serpent was uh, caught deceiving the woman. And so God gave the woman a role to play in the the actual um, punishment, crushing, of Satan's head. And this, uh, all through the ages, as we talked about a couple shows ago, there was a plot to destroy the human race, uh, to destroy the, the people of God. Um, through Noah, the DNA thing was, you know, in jeopardy. And then we see as God was initiating the through Abraham, the actual uh, specific family from which tribe he was, he would bring his, his people, the Hebrews. Um, that they were assaulted, attacked constantly, um, near death on many occasions, and even then were driven down or went down into Egypt to um, uh, avoid starvation. And then in that journey down there, they became a great nation down there. There was only like 70 people that went down there. So the the enemy was taking advantage. God was trying to build up this people from which would come the bloodlines of Jesus and uh, Mary and, and and all the history throughout all the struggles. But now we come to the final moments before the final actual 
um, revelation. Um, it says in the fullness of time. And this had been about what, 4,000 years. That's a lot of time to wait mm-hmm. and a lot of time to forget um, the promises. And so I think what we see in the beginning here, when we see that the stage opens with um, a, an unusual man, uh, his name is Zechariah. And uh, if you read in, in the Luke account, which is basically where it is, um, you'll find in Luke chapter 1, it begins with his story. Um, and it, it starts out with a kind of a interesting situation. Luke uh, uh, tells us that Zechariah was an old man, and uh, history tells us he was probably about 60 years old. He was of the tribe of the, the, the priestly tribe and married to uh, the daughter of a priest. So Elizabeth was also of the priestly tribe. And they had duties. They weren't retired at the age of 50 like the Levites were. They had, if they were not unhealthy, they could continue their work. So they had duties to perform every day um, to get the sacrifices ready. The lamb had to be slain. But before that, they had to get up early, early before dawn. And there was about 50 of them that, that have to, had to do the day's deal of getting everything ready and making the announcements and cleaning off the altar and da-da-da-da. Well, because there were so many of them and because they all probably wanted the best positions, there would be a lot or a dice that was cast. I don't know if it was dice or stones or whatever it was to determine who would get the position of going into into um, the, to the, the, the Holy of Holies to um, light or, or the incense, to bring the incense, continue to keep the incense burning. And um, so he'd been there many years, um, honey, and there was nothing. He never got the lot to go into the incense to help burn the incense or bring the fire for the mm-hmm. altar of incense. Mm-hmm. And so today was his lucky day. That wasn't luck, I'm sure. No, what, I mean, the, the timing of the Lord is just purpose. I mean, the the casting of the lot or the choosing of the lot belongs to the Lord. We read that in mm-hmm. the the old uh, the Old Testament. So, in the midst of just this normal process that these this priestly family families were were following, God the timing was perfect, just the right time. Here comes Zacharias mm-hmm. and. Uh, what happens next? Well, I'm going to back up just a little bit because in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, There was in the days of Herod, this is Luke talking, the king of Judea. There was in the days of Herod the king. He was the king. He was a Median king. He was a very evil man. He was so brutal that he butchered basically his own wife and children um, because he was so jealous. I think he had a mental disorder because he was, um, well, let's just say spirit of murder, whatever, in jealousy and security. Um a certain priest named Gariah was also living at that time of the division of Abijah. Now, Abijah, there were 12, I think, 12 divisions, and his family name was Abijah of some sort. That was his division. Um, and his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So they were of the priestly both, tribe. Both of the priestly yes. families. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments, ordinances of God, blameless. Now, this is a, quite a feat itself, being righteous uh, in the days when, you know, almost all, everything had gotten uh, commercialized, even as today, uh, the religionized, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes kind of ran the whole religious show. But here we have a rural priest. As a matter of fact, Zechariah came from a rural community. Most of the priests lived right near the temple, but he lived in um, the hills of Judea. 
in a little town away from the main compound where the priests lived. But And so those rural priests uh, were considered more uh, the rustic priests. And actually, they were called idiot priests. Can you believe that? They mm. called them idiot priests. Now, that we get from uh, Edersheim in his book, Life and Times of Jesus Christ. So they were thinking they were kind of like country bumpkin Country priests, boys, yeah. they weren't city slickers. Yeah, they weren't the, the high and mighty. So this is the guy that God's going to pick, one of the idiot priests, uh, idiot, to to do something. The, the, the thing that Zachariah was going to get to do when the lot fell to him was to, um, I'll read it here, uh, let's see. He was righteous, he was good, but he had a problem. His his wife and he were barren. They, as Elizabeth had no child, they were both well advanced in years. So if he was about 60 years old, the chance of her having a baby is quite diminished. And actually in those days, did you know that there was a rule that if um, a woman could not bring forth a son or a child for her husband, that there was some who said that they had a right then to put her away. Yeah, they blame blame the woman for her right. barrenness. Yeah, and, and so they now had. A, we know it can be the man or the woman. Right. So he had a right to put her away, and remarry, and 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 so we see here this man with this religious permission, you know, heaping down on his head that he could have actually got rid of Elizabeth and eventually had could have gotten himself an offspring. Oh, and then there was a shame too connected with yeah. that. If you were if you were barren, there was something wrong. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. There were people that could be questioning his character or the character of Elizabeth. Right. You know, why, right. what's going on? There's something wrong Some here, sin here or with their life. But disfavor, God, some disfavor, actually, but from God. God makes it clear here, mm-hmm. writing through uh, through Luke, that they were both righteous before God. So he vindicated them. And it's interesting, mm-hmm. too, if you think about them advanced in their age and barren. This is a scenario God uses about two or three times in his, um, in his, you know, throughout the Old Testament, we have uh, wasn't Hannah? Uh, mm-hmm. She was barren. Yeah, the the she, uh, the mother of uh, Samuel. Right, and um, uh, Manoah and his wife, um, the mother and father of Samson, mm-hmm. they were also barren. Sarah. Sarah Abraham. Abraham Sarah mm-hmm, <laughs> were barren, and now we got Elizabeth and Zechariah barren, and it's like okay, there's no other kids here. There's no hope of ever having a kid. And all of a sudden, God brings them a, a, a really very special, special person. And so they were going to bring forth John the Baptist, who was the last of the, uh, well, you could probably say the last. He, he connected the Old Testament prophets with the New Testament prophets. He was the kind of the guy in the middle bringing mm-hmm. forth the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it's interesting that, very interesting, the job that, Zechariah got that day. He got the job, uh, and so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his divisions, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So they were there praying, waiting for all that. This is a big deal. I mean, everybody's there. But the incense altar represented the prayers of the people mm-hmm. and and he had to pray before he went in and so it's very interesting that when he went in to light or continue the fire to burn uh to burn incense that the angel an angel of the lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense now just before that 
the pro the custom and the process was that the that Zechariah would have to stand there and pray prayers his own prayers the prayers for the nation personal prayers before God as he was about to you know um, burn the incense mm. and so I imagine the prayer that he'd prayed a million times was God give us a son, give us a child give us a child and so what did the angel say but the angel um, appeared to him and Zechariah saw him and he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard. Well, which prayer? How, you know, many prayers. He specifically said your prayer that your wife will bear you a son and you should call his name John. So it's a very fitting moment. But stop and think about this in the midst of absolute Roman control, Herod's insanity of murdering, the treachery, the betrayal, uh, the the danger of living even in these areas of uh, Palestine at the time, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, in the middle of all that you have a quiet little couple living in a hillside borough, mm-hmm. and he gets the job of you know burning incense, and the angel appears to him and tells him something that was on the angel's mind that must have been on God's mind. Mm-hmm. He said his prayer is heard, and, and I'm sure there were other things he was praying for, but this is something that was had been on his heart probably for many, many years, in prayer for a, a child, for a, for a son. And the angel went on to say, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Father, to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is exactly what the angel said. Now, I don't know if Zechariah, he must have remembered it somehow because we have the report of it, but I'm sure the first thing he got caught on in his mind is, I'm going to have a son. Yeah. Can I believe this? Is this possible? Uh, you know, always, I mean, when the angels appeared with these crazy, radical promises finally being kept to Abraham, too, Sarah laughed. Abraham didn't believe it. I mean, it's like, after all these years, it is what it is, finally stops being it is what it is. And now we're going to get the answer to prayer. And I think for all of us, for many of us, it's just terrible that waiting, um, that waiting, that duration of time when we're, we're praying over and over and we're seeing nothing change or we're seeing things get worse or we're seeing God doesn't answer a prayer. The answer, and the answer was coming in a way far beyond his expectation. Right. I mean, this is not just a, a son to be a, you know, regular priest with him mm-hmm. and so forth. This is, this is a... I mean, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. from the mother's womb. Right. He's going to be announcing uh, the coming of the Messiah. He's going to turn uh, the hearts of the children uh, to the Lord, uh, children of Israel to the Lord their God. I mean, this is this is a well, powerful, powerful but it's a, a po- son that's coming. But it's a great big job too, because at that point in time, you've had four hundred years of silence, not a word, not a prophet, nothing, and you've had four thousand years of back and forth, back and forth between, 
Is God good? Is God bad? Is God keeping his promises? Does he remember us? And all these rules we keep for we don't even know why anymore. Some people I'm sure were very, very um, skeptical of there ever being an answer, a Messiah, even though kind of it was a theme that was kept alive through the righteous few. But notice that that John the Baptist was already decide, determined to be great before he ever even took a breath on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, and that he would be a Nazarite. He would not participate in the debaucheries and the common things of even eating, drinking wine and eating raisins. Raisins were Raisin part of the grape. Raisins or grapes. And, the fruit of the vine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So he was, but his job was to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And you know that John had to have a hard job. He was going out there um, in the face of all kinds of, of, of refinery and lies and um, excuse making and debauchery. And he comes as like this, you know, man dressed like a part of the, <laughs> I don't know where he got his, um, his suits and his um, attire, but it was not in, any of the exclusive shops in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. from the wilderness. And and so the thing is, the the man was just so, he was just so inappropriate looking for his position. But being a prophet, you know, prophets are kind of like that. They're kind of eccentric. They're kind of on their own and kind of um, listening to God and not so concerned about what other people are going to say. But Zechariah, back to him, said to the angel, how shall I know this? Now, everybody kind of says that. Abraham said that. Um, you know, Mary said that. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Yeah, that's true. Abraham kind of said the same thing. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and, is, and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. For behold, now, when Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? He was basically asking for a sign. How am I going to know this? How am I going to know this is really true? This is really you? And plied, how am I going to know this? Because I'm an old man. He's making his excuses. The angel said to him, Behold, you will be mute. There will be your sign. And not be able to speak until the day that these, this, these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this, he became the sign. Mm-hmm. He became his own sign. And so in the sense, the word was like, my, this is too amazing to be true. Mm-hmm. And, and, dumbfounded. And dumbfounded. <laughs> yeah. How could this be? And he looks at it, he and his wife. They're well advanced in years. How can this be? Because in the natural course of things, this is this is impossible. Right. And this is the way we think. This is the way we, we approach many of God's promises. This isn't just for Zechariah. This is for you today, for me. This is where we really trip up on the promises of God because we say, how can this be? Because I'm old, because it's never been like this before, because, 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 because we have a million excuses. How can this be? And then we say, well, is this really God? Maybe this isn't really God. I'm just making this up in my head. And so we stumble at embracing a promise from God because it's too, too good to be true. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hate that. I, I hate that. I hate that attitude that Satan spreads like thick syrup all over our souls to make us believe that nothing can change because it is what it is. And we are so dull. I mean, we're so mundane. We're so used to being in our little world 
and our little routine and our little schedules, and it's all up to me, and I've got to do it. And we're so we've so dismissed the possibility of the miraculous or of the divine in our lives that we've become boring to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Boring to ourselves. I mean, I, we don't even like our own life. Mm-hmm. If you don't like your life, why? Why don't you like, oh, because it's too hard, it's too bad, it's too... Well, maybe you don't like your life because you've not allowed the divine to enter in. You're sick of yourself. You're sick of trying to make yourself happy, find yourself a way, be, be accepted, loved, promoted, whatever. Get over yourself and go back into walking in the spirit of God. You know, I mean, just let's realize that many of us are missing, you know, our, our, our promises because we are listening to the excuse maker in our head, make up stories, make up lies. And we believe that those lies are our own thoughts. And that is the biggest trick of all. When the devil gets inside of our minds and our souls and begins to lie to us with all kinds of excuses, well, you know, I'm getting old. I'm like Dr. I'm too old. It's too late. It's never going to happen. You know, uh, it is what it is. I've never seen it before. Therefore, it can't happen, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, you know, we're obstructed by our own thinking. Oh, I you know, hate We that. obstruct the promises of I God hate because that. <laughs> we think, you know, it's just, yeah, how can it be? Uh, we've never, it's never happened before. And uh, So who's talking to us when so, we're saying right, that? We, but the thing is, it's really Zacharias here. The word came from God. Yeah. You know, and like and the, he was a righteous it's, man. It's, and he was a righteous man. And he man. didn't even quite believe it. Right. And the word, see, when you take the word of God as the word of God, accept it as true, um, the circumstances that you're in, your condition that you're in, mm-hmm. that would think, oh, how can this be? It can be. In other words, the the word of God injects, if if we will, life, a possibility, life. Nothing it, is it impossible with God, a certainty. Right? That's beyond the normal. Mm-hmm. It's a certainty that's beyond the normal. It's really, the, it's really the miraculous. It, it's, it's that which only God can do comes into our lives, and we're we're not normally <laughs> uh, plugged into that that uh, possibility. Well, it's because we saying? don't walk in the spirit, or because we walk in a combination of of flesh and spirit. Flesh being your your body that carries your soul, and it is our soul that debates against our spirit constantly, and that debate is formulated by the demon, the evil one, who impersonates you to yourself by getting you to believe that those thoughts and feelings are yours, and without ever questioning them, you just embrace them. And when we embrace them as our own, like Zachariah did, feeling that that was his feeling, uh, how can this be? Um, the devil kind of slapped him and <laughs> said, you got to have a sign. Here's a sign for you, buddy. I'm not saying, you know, and the sign was important because it had to be also a sign that would convince the others who were standing out there waiting and watching that Zachariah had seen something. Otherwise, he could come out there and say something and say, oh, yeah, right, Zacharias, you're just making this up. But they knew he was a righteous man and he didn't lie. And so they, when they, they saw him dumbfounded, and it was very also miraculous that, you know, whatever he had to communicate to them, he could only do it through the tablet until actually he wrote the name of John. When they, they, he evidently had not even communicated, well, evidently, maybe to his wife, that this boy's name was going to be John because the, the relatives, relatives, when they came by to 
uh, dedicate the child, look at the child, you know, congratulate them, I'm sure. Um, they were assuming that Zachariah would name the son Zachariah because it was his probably only one and only child. And, mm-hmm. of course, you want to keepsake and you want a namesake and all that good stuff. So they assumed that. And um, he says, and then they argued that there's nobody in your generation that's been named John. Mm-hmm. And and so um, he was, you know, kind of, the the minute he wrote that on the tablet, and he had to get a tablet to write it on because he still wasn't talking, his lips, his tongue was untied. Um, and he then began to speak. And so... Um, as, as soon as the days of service were completed, he departed to his own house after those days. His wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months. And then the Lord, uh, he says, thus the Lord, she said, thus the Lord has dealt with me and in this day and looked upon me to take away my reproach. So you're right. She felt that shame um, from not being pregnant. And the sixth month, the angel, angel went to Nazareth. Now, so the angel went first to, to Mary, second to Mary, first to Elizabeth. She went to, he went to to Galilee in a town named Nazareth. Now, notice the timing. So John was six months older because at that point where the, where Gabriel went to see Mary, she conceived. And she didn't really ask for a sign, although she did say, she did have the same kind of question, how can this be since I know not a man? So it was like, okay, so she has a little bit of a problem with this too. Technically, they have problems. One's too old and one doesn't know a man. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, listen, now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Listen up, guys. That's your verse. Then Mary said, behold, the, the, man, the, man, the maiden servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. And then the angel departed from her. Let it be done unto me. Now here's an issue. Here's a sign. The angel told her critical information that Elizabeth had not told her. No, Elizabeth had hidden herself. She hadn't told anybody she's pregnant. And so, and they, they live a ways away, and so they don't have cell phones. And so Mary decides to see, you know, for herself if Elizabeth is pregnant. And probably she wanted to go there, too, because maybe Elizabeth would understand her predicament being a a virgin and having conceived a child. And who would believe her or understand her? I'm sure she eventually told her own mother, but maybe not yet. She was going to go first see if Elizabeth had a child, was conceived, was pregnant. And that would be an encouragement to strengthen her to believe that what she had seen was also true. And so... I believe that's why Mary says in verse 39, now Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. Ha, she got, she got in, she was in a hurry, to the city of Judea and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now this is a quite a journey, isn't it? From Galilee to Judea? Yeah, it's, it's quite a ways. I think it's about 90 miles, something like that. Well, 90 I miles mean, on a donkey. Yeah, I mean, a young girl. A young girl, teenager. Yeah, really. So it doesn't say she went with anybody else. Right. So she probably joined a caravan of some sort. Yeah, it could be. <clears throat> and she um, got in to see Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, well, of course she recognized her little niece, that the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was inspired and her baby at the same time when they heard Mary's voice. And then Elizabeth said, 
she spoke out with a loud voice, saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What a greeting, huh? But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? How did Elizabeth know that? Nobody told her that Mary was coming. Nobody told her Mary was pregnant. Nobody told her, you know, the angel didn't warn her ahead of time that Mary was going to have a baby, let alone what came out of her mouth from the Holy Spirit. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she already recognized that this baby in the womb was the Lord. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there is will be a fulfillment of, of those things which were told to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth is, is confirming to Mary, blessed, you're blessed because you believed. And we just had our miracle, and it's happening. And this is too good to be true, but it is true, because God, with God, nothing is impossible. So here you have two very quiet, uh, not unobtrusive, un, you know, these women are what in the scheme of humanity? An old, uh, an old lady and a teenager. Yeah. Going to have babies. Yeah. Super special babies. I mean, yeah. beyond super special. And, and we have all the political, religious garbage going on all around them. And in the midst of all this, God just does something so huge that nobody can even see it. It's not even visible yet. It's just, but he began, I mean, this is the keeping of a 4,000-year-old promise. This is not just a good day in the neighborhood here. This is a great thing. Um, blessed is she believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were foretold her from the Lord. And Mary said, now Mary gets poetic, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. We get to see a little bit of Mary's character here, her devotion, her religious purity and intention, um, her nativity or her innocence, I guess is a better word. My soul has rejoiced in God, my Savior. But she was not, un- she was not unlearned or, or ignorant because or she comprehended this. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, lowly state of his maidservant. She knew she was... A maiden. She was a maid servant. She was a servant. She that was a lowly state. That wasn't. She wasn't in a royal house. She wasn't. Yeah, she was of royal descent, but her house was, you know, probably lower, lower middle class or upper lower class or something. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now this is interesting that Mary wasn't stuck on herself to the point where she said where she did or resisted the will of God for her life based on how she saw herself. Oh, I'm unworthy. This can't be. There's no way God would pick me. Um, you know, I'm not that good. You know, why did he, you know, all of these kinds of confu- confusions that come to other people. She didn't make any, she wasn't resistant. You know, she wasn't psychologically inner self resisting the idea of a good thing happening to her. Well, then part of the thing, too, is that there's a lot of uh, uh, difficulty connected with this because Joseph, who was she was betrothed to, finds out that she's pregnant, you know, before they had, uh, right. co- you know, completed their uh, marriage, you know, consecrated, 
consummated their marriage. Well, they were betrothed, and that was like being They were betrothed, married. their engagement, and she mm-hmm. find, he finds out that she's pregnant. And yeah. she says, well, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and, 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 and that's how it worked. And it's like, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we Holy see Spirit. here, the interesting thing about this is when Mary's even speaking yet to Elizabeth, um, that there, she is a whole healthy, psychologically married, very psychologically sound, healthy, mm-hmm. put together person because she knows who she is and she knows who she is because she's been spending time with God. Um, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation because she must have known exactly what you said, that Joseph was going to have, how who the angel didn't appear to Joseph and he wasn't there when the angel appeared to her. So somehow this is going to have to work out. But, you know, looming in the background of this whole thing, um, let's finish this poem, and then i got to tell you what was looming in her. She is a, a brave girl, because she is saying, from generation to generation, he has shown strength with his, with his arm. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. She realized that people were proud, full of vain imaginations, idolatry. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. Can you believe that, Herod, Caesar? She had faith to believe that God would put them down and exalted the lowly like herself. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he de- indeed, when her son multiplied the, the bread, he did that. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped. He has helped his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So she's reconnecting the promise, the promise God gave to Abraham, the promise God gave to Eve, with his seed forever, with Israel, his servant. She knew that Israel was the carrier of the promise. But she also knew that, so she hung around with Elizabeth for about three months and then she returned home. But she, okay, so three months, by that time, Mary is probably just starting to show, feeling the little baby kicking in her own womb, probably three to four months. Now she's going to come back and face Joseph. Now, Joseph, see, I think this was, I mean, maybe he knew about this before she left town. Maybe it was kind of a, way for things to cool down a little bit. She wanted to go see if truly Elizabeth was pregnant and that would, you know, verify or confirm her story. But technically, because she had, you would think, at least that's the only explanation logically, that she had had an affair with somebody else or, you know, laid with a man. She was now considered an adulteress. She had broken, she'd become, you know, uh, unfit to be married. She'd broken the covenant with Joseph. It's like now she was looking at getting, uh, having either a, he could divorce her or he could uh, put her away, as they said. Or if he was really mad, he could actually have her stoned, killed. That was all within the limits of the law. And so it's uh, Matthew one twenty, and... Uh... 21, it says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. There's lots of angels here, right? Yeah, well, it's a good got thing. Gabriel speaking to Elizabeth and to Mary, an angel, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Okay, what verse was that? Uh, Matthew one twenty and 21. 
And then if you go, uh, let's just complete that uh, mm-hmm. that chapter, uh, verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took to him his wife and did not know her, did not have uh, you know, sexual relations with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So Mary had to take a step of faith to believe that in the face of possible divorce or death, that God was going to keep his promise to her because if she's dead or divorced, then her bringing forth the baby wasn't going to, wasn't going to happen. So God sent that, an angel also to, was it Gabriel again? Let's see. To Joseph? Uh, yeah. It doesn't say it, just as an angel. <clears throat> so this was a holy man, a just man, a carpenter. Uh, he was an unassuming man. Again, uh, one of those you know outcast type of people that God was using to cast and set the drama of the greatest story ever told, uh, set up the the, the the original first act of the greatest story ever but told. You, you think that here, okay, here's the one that God chose, Joseph, to be, uh, as was supposed, it says, the mm-hmm. father of Jesus, the one to, to kind of lead the home, bring you know, the training and the nurture mm-hmm. of his son. So, I mean, Joseph had to be a man. We don't hear much about him, really, but had to be a man of just great integrity, great integrity, courage, and character and courage. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, we see his courage when in the dream uh, after right after Jesus was born, the urging of the angel the to make haste, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And there we have the flight. into Egypt. This is in the midst of. Herod's decree, which which Joseph had no way of knowing what was going on in Herod's palace at that moment, <clears throat> but Herod had just uh, dispatched the soldiers to go kill the, innocent, the, the the babies, male children under two. So we see kind of a parallel between the babies being killed uh, regarding and around Moses' birth. There the Pharaoh was trying to annihilate his competition um, and whatever, you know, to... Um, kill the male children because they were becoming uh, mighty and a, a threat. And so in his paranoia, he was going to kill the male children. And here we see uh, in Jesus that Herod also in his paranoia was going to eradicate this child comes as a result of Herod hearing the wise men. But we're a little bit ahead of our story. But we can see as we look ahead that that that. Can you get, imagine getting up in the middle of the night? I mean, the baby was probably two weeks old at that point. Um, and he just has gotten, had, they just had had the visit from the Magi, so they just had the box of gold dropped off, the frankincense, the myrrh, the gold. And that was probably the cash that they used to get to Egypt and to live there mm-hmm. until this Herod was dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joseph didn't even, so I don't know how many years that was. I'm sure history would tell us probably a couple years, maybe not so many because that Herod who had killed all those innocents actually didn't he get didn't he get die being eaten up by worms or something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I doubt if it was long after he had killed all those innocents that he I don't think he lived much longer. Um and so but Joseph uh didn't come back until he heard for sure that there was someone else in his place and 
that guy was a little more safe. Mm-hmm. But so <clears throat> anyway, so we see this is a crisis point for Mary. She's believing God, but how many times in the in the promises that God has given to us, there is conflict. There is a huge battle at the threshold. At the threshold of the at the, the the enemy is at the gate. When your life and God is calling you up to another level or to another place to step into another uh, arena of um, revelation and authority and assignment, that the enemy is going to do whatever he can to knock you out, cause you to go into to exhaustion, weariness, unbelief. And we need to recognize those symptoms as the enemy at the gate trying to keep you from going into that place of faith, believing, and receiving the promises. There's a lot of scuttlebutt. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of confusion. Is Joseph going to you know, keep her? Is he going to you know, put her away? And if he would have put her away and she'd have lived, I don't think she would have been uh, um, able to ever marry again. I'm just That's just my guess. I don't know what the rules actually were. Well, but. there was uh, probably, you know, if someone was pregnant outside of marriage, and I think that was, you know, a small town rumor mill. Because uh, they, oh, yeah. they remember later on when Jesus continued after he was 30 mm-hmm. years old in, in mm-hmm. his earthly ministry, they said, we are not born of fornication. We yeah. have Abraham as our father. So there was a slam against Jesus. Uh, it, it, apparently there was uh, a rumor going around that he was, uh, ill-conceived. Yeah, right. That was that he was a, a bastard <laughs> that child. He was, that he was, yeah, that he was an illegitimate. Well, and even uh, child. So, so. And even yeah, and, and along with that, when I don't remember it's in Matthew or something where they said um, the disbelief of of him coming to Nazareth as his hometown, and re- realizing that because he was, they knew him, they knew his father. They are his brothers, not all with us, and his sisters. So he's, we're seeing there from a kind of indirect inference that he had siblings mm-hmm. after, you know, there was, uh, he, they, they named them, it was four boys, wasn't it? I forget, Joseph and Joseph, uh, Simeon, and I'll, I can find that verse, but it's in Matthew, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And, and that because they knew him, and they knew where he was from, and that he was a carpenter, and all these other things, um, they, they had no, he had no credibility. You know, he was just kind of, one of the hometown boys, and he thinks he's God. And can you imagine how hard it would have been for Jesus' own siblings to come up with that idea that he's actually yeah. God? Well, well, that's right. That you know, my my big brother is the son of God. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, right. and it's like really, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh, he's crazy. Well, even even nowadays, when people have that, that's a that's a diagnosable. Uh, um, you know, uh, mental illness, you know, I, you know, a God complex or a savior complex or whatever you want to call it. People think they're Jesus. There's a lot of crazy stuff, but mm-hmm. here was the real Jesus. After many, I think many had come on the scene claiming to be the Messiah because everybody's looking for Messiah. So, you know, even Pilate, I think, alluded to that. Right. Well, there were, there were, during this 400 years, this intertestamental period, as it's called, there were different revolutionary movements that were taking place. Right. And some that, you know, among the, the Maccabees and so forth. And there were people coming along claiming that they were some great one. They were going to be some deliverer. Yeah. And they were all 
you know, put down. And yeah. uh, so it's like, okay, yeah, we've had all these false deliverers. Oh, is this just another false hope that we have? And so the whole idea of of who the Messiah was going to be mm-hmm. uh, in in the in the Jewish mind, and many times it was the uh, political deliverer that was going to get us out of our problems, get mm-hmm. the Romans off our backs. And uh, you know, we're <laughs> even in our election now, people are looking for some man Magic. to give us some relief to change mm-hmm. the course mm-hmm. of the nation to. Uh, supposedly end some of the oppression and 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 a lot of that was you know it, politically it, it really is a false hope when it's uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's a spiritual well it's a typical thing that people will look for some redeemer messiah deliver a great one hero star yeah, yeah. rescuer some, some rescuer yeah yeah so, so and people many times have been so disappointed by mm-hmm. the. Um, those that have come in in the name of uh, the Lord, Jesus, yeah. so or, uh, or not in the name of the Lord, but have come and said, "Well, we're gonna as a we're savior. gonna we're gonna bring prosperity and peace and freedom," and it ends up being the disappointment, opposite actually disappointment yeah. and mm-hmm. disillusionment, and again, it's just another false hope that causes us to go back into hopelessness, and I think that's the same with us. Many times, we isn't this true? That honey, we have a we have a way figured out for God to help us. We have a way figured out for God to provide for us, or, or or bring in that rent check, or whatever it is. We have a way that we think it can work, you know. And so, we pray that God will do something, and we pray according to what we think would work. And right. then He comes in from the backside, or the the far left, or the whatever far mm-hmm. right, up mm-hmm. exactly. to do something. You did, oh, I didn't even see that. I didn't even well, think didn't, of that. Didn't see that coming. It's yeah. like we live in mm-hmm. expectation of what God will do, and then That's miss called it. faith. But then when <laughs> the, the the way it comes, it comes unexpectedly. And so then like, we miss so it. God, a lot of times. we can miss it. Or we can say, God, that was so amazing. I never would have thought of it that way. Oh. And and uh, it, that's. It, but it, the enemy would lots of times with when God brings us a blessing, the enemy will try to write it off as a good fortune or a coincidence or luck. Yeah, <laughs> to try to strip God from getting the glory of His. God's glory really resides in His faithfulness, in His constant attentiveness to our every need. And if he knows the hairs on our head and he he loves us, and by the way, his commandment was now changed from don't kill him to love and forgive even your enemies, that's really an upgrade. If God is telling us to do that, then God has got to do that too, or he is a hypocrite. And I believe that was God's true nature from the very beginning was love, although he's made been made to look very bad, very inconsistent, um, very... Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the minds and understandings of so many people because of the way we interpret what's going on. And if we don't understand spiritual warfare is an everyday, ordinary, all the time deal for everybody. It's not just for the few prophets and whatever. That got the spiritual warfare, you have to put the enemy, the adversary, the evil one, as Jesus said, deliver us from the evil one. That's what it says in the Our Father in the, in the original that Jesus was warning him that there is an evil one, an accuser of the brethren, who is our adversary at every level, every day of our life. Now, are we to be terrified of him? No. 
we are to focus on the promises of God and know this, that God is ever-present. He goes with you through your trials and afflictions. The, the liar is coming to try to destroy your faith, your hope, and the promises of God to discourage you with the, what, like we were talking before about, you know, the ordinary, everyday, never going to change. It is what it is. Um, and or the reason things don't change that the devil gives us is because somehow it's my fault. I should have done something different. I wasn't being responsible. Uh, and I see, keep saying to people the word responsibility is not in the Bible. God doesn't operate on the principle of responsibility. The Bible doesn't say take responsibility. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the exact opposite. It says you can't do anything. Paul says, if I'm doing, Romans 7.20, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. It is the sin that dwells within me. He says, I see a war going on inside of me, the one who wills to do good. In other words, he wants to do good. This war is controlling him. He says, in Romans six twelve, in the Amplified, he says, let not sin rule as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body. In your body. Listen, where is it? In your body. To do what? To make you obey it. It as opposed to you. To make you obey it in its lusts, evil passions, and cravings. So he's recognizing that there's a there's a tremendous battle, a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare that goes on within side inside of us, and it goes on between our soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and your spirit. Your spirit, their soul and your spirit are like two different sets of software. The one was programmed by the devil to believe lies and and train you, train you for the mundane, train you for the ordinary, train you to stay in your place, train you to never ask questions. Train you to just be gullible, naive, and you know, uh, sedu- seduced and sedated, really. And and so with that training that we received in the pit of our life experiences, we the whole point of warfare and faith is to come up out of that pit and believe God for what God said. And we get too used to being dull, dull-hearted. We can't hear. And you know what? When someone can't hear or can't see, they don't know what they can't hear and they can't see because they're not hearing it and seeing it. They don't even, they're not even aware of it. And so the spiritual awareness has to come through the Holy Spirit, who quickened, you know, turned on, lit up Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph. These guys were now moving in spirit worlds. They were spirit beings now in the spirit. They were people who were, who were listening. They were alive. They were lit. They, they were, were. They were lit. But they were lit because they were listening. They were, there was something in their heart that they would be able that God to had found. Hear, mm-hmm. hear the voice of God. They were not all, you know, in many ways very ordinary people, but they were not all fogged out with mm-hmm. just because they all had been being righteous. Or, right. They, they were they were they were godly people. At, in other words, at that time in their history, what that meant is they were observing um, in their hearts the the commandments of God and reverencing Him and respecting Him and loving Him. And they all must have had a right concept of God because He didn't have to go and retrain them. However, it doesn't mean they weren't beaten up by the thoughts and the, the opinions of the world. But and, and you look at you look at you know just again. Marjorie, going back to the song of Mary, mm-hmm. the content of that is just powerful. This is this is coming through a teenage girl. Yeah, 
I know. You know, probably 15, 16 years old. She's per- I mean, she is a prophet right wisdom. here. She's, She's a prophet. Mm-hmm. She's declaring deep and powerful and true things. And then you go to Zacharias, uh, the prophecy of Zacharias, mm-hmm. which he speaks uh, uh, referring to Christ. He's He's prophesying about the Savior, and then he's prophesying about his son John that was coming, Zacharias's son John, mm-hmm. who we know of as John the Baptist. So there, there, there's powerful yeah. words. So when God basically shut his mouth and then God opened his mouth, he was, and when his when his mouth opened, mm-hmm. wow! So there, John was the son of a prophet because Zechariah says in I in Luke chapter one sixty seven, now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. So we have all these prophets, prophecies, words going forth from these very, very mundane, ordinary people who loved God and believed the truth and knew the truth. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. So they're really saying, this is it. I mean, that takes a lot of courage right there to say, this is it. When everybody else had said, this is it, all the thousands of generations before that was not getting it right, in the house of his servant David. Now, of course, according to the lineages, Mary and Joseph were of the house of David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, he being God, who have been since the world began. Now, God always said back in those days, he sent his word, his intentions, his heart, his directions through the words of, through the prophets. They were the men and women who heard from God. And they were recognized as those who heard from God. And, of course, there were always the wannabes and the false prophets. But the real prophets, God used them as his mouthpiece. Um, and this is why he was sent, since the world be, who has been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, who are our enemies? In those days, was it just the Romans? Was it, it just the Herod? just the Romans, no. And a lot of people perceived that it was the Romans. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, even David in the Psalms, he talks about his enemies all the time, his enemies. Um, and we would say, well, I don't have any enemies. Nobody hates me. Nobody's out to get me. But you do have an enemy. And it's the because David says some of his enemies were internalized. He says, why are thou so downcast, O oh, my soul? Mm-hmm. You know, rejoicing. So the downcast, dull-hearted, down, uh, discouraged feelings, feelings can be your enemy. Thoughts can be your enemy. The enemy is orchestrating them. So he's going to deliver us, save us, save us from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Or who hates us? Satan. Why does he hate us? Because we're created in the likeness and image of God. So what's that to him? Well, the way the only way he can get at God is to get at God's creation. He's so jealous of us. He hates yeah. us because you know what? We are made in the image of God. Satan, Lucifer was never made in the image of God. There's no indication he was ever made. He was a created being. He was an angel. He was highly positioned. But there's never a word that says he was made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So we are God's offspring, God's descendants, God's children, God's sons and daughters, made in the image of God, which was a high, high level of prestige and Ultimately, it says in the Bible, we will rule and judge angels. Mm-hmm. So you think you know, you're beaten up by bad angels now, demons, liars, and devils. But ultimately, we have the position as the sons and daughters of God, saved, brought back, rescued from this incredible war this, that we, we want to deny exists. 
we want to just stay busy. We want to avoid it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to um, get into it because it's too messy. But if you don't get into it and understand it from a biblical perspective, nothing in your life will ultimately really make sense. You can make it make sense for maybe 15 minutes or maybe 15 years. But ultimately, if you don't believe the truth, it all unravels at the edges. It doesn't connect to the, it doesn't make a, a clear connection from start to finish. It breaks down. And then you have these very horrible questions like, if God is so good, then why? You know, does these bad things all happen to me, et cetera, et cetera, because we don't understand the whole story. So Zechariah, verse 71, that he would save us from our, en- that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He's referring back, of course, to the promise God gave to Abraham. And notice, God didn't say to Abraham, okay, Abraham, if you be good, if you do everything I say, I'll give you a whole bunch of commandments to do. And then if you can keep those commandments, then I will give you a promise. That's how we do it. Okay, honey, if you do all your chores and make your bed and, and, and do the dishes without grumbling, then we will go to McDonald's or we'll go to the Dairy Queen. We Our promises we make are rewards for behavior. God did not make a promise uh, to Abraham based on his behavior or his being good. The one thing Abraham did do that God asked him to do was to move. And the reason God had to have him move was because he had to take him into a safe place because he was in the domain at that time when Abraham was alive. Nimrod was still alive. As a matter of fact, Nimrod was getting old, but he was still the king of the earth. And Abraham's father um, worked in the cabinet of uh, of Nimrod. And so Abraham was in great jeopardy, even in his birth, kind of similar to Jesus's birth, as we uh, hear and read from the historical books. Um, he was in danger, and he had to be hidden as a child for 10 years. His mother hid him. Um, and Nimrod ordered him killed, but in the in the process of um, of all of that scuttlebutt, Abraham was protected. And so the promise was to him, not because of good works. So he's talking here, Zechariah again, about the promise, the holy covenant to a man who was willing to follow God. God was able to commit the covenant to him then. And the promises were out of this world, that he'd have descendants as the stars of the sea. And that, uh, stars of the sea, honey, you didn't correct me on that. You didn't catch me. You're correcting Uh yourself. Yes. The, the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, and that the land, as far as I could see, would be his. Mm-hmm. And um, the oath was swore to, swore to our father Abraham to so, grant... Go ahead. Yeah, the the oath that he swore, it says, in you, in your seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Now, it's not just talking about his his all his kids, but mm-hmm. talking in his seed. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ came as the seed of Abraham, mm-hmm. as the promised seed through, ho- who, mm-hmm. through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that's why when we go to John chapter 8, where Jesus is having this argument with the Pharisees, and they're saying, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you're the son of Abraham or something? And it, see, Jesus was referring to himself as that promise, and they just, too logical, too, you know, worldly, we're not able to get it or understand that he was the completion. He was the seed. And here Zechariah goes on to say, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, 
The Bible says in First John, perfect love casts out fear. Many people are serving God today out of fear. He's not asking you to serve him out of fear. He wants you to know that he loves you, and then we serve him out of devotion, not duty. Might might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. God is not forcing you to be holy or righteous. God is, Jesus is our righteousness, and he made us holy. So the Bible says, be holy as he is holy. So what God is asking us to do is return to our roots, return to the original divine nature, who he, which he imparted to us when he made us in his own image, to be holy and to love holiness, to love righteousness. Um, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of any child, now he's called, shall, referring to John, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. Now, look at what John had to do there. Going, It was all full of unbelief, skepticism, ignorance, religion, sin, disillusionment. Um, you know, people had gone, gotten weary and mean to one another in this long duration of waiting. They began to beat the servants, take advantage of one another, greed, covetousness. He had to wake up the people to realize that Jesus was coming. He had to plow this very hard ground. Yeah, and he was really, uh, in the in these ancient times, there was an individual called a herald that would come. Uh, and, and talks about him preparing the way of the Lord, making mm-hmm. his path straight mm-hmm. and, and smooth. And there was, there, were, uh, there was a herald that would announce when mm-hmm. a, a high official or a king was coming, he would mm-hmm. say, "Here is here's the king," uh-huh. and 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 or they the king would, is coming or something they, like that. He maybe along with some others, if they were coming down a road, if there was a tree that had fallen over the road, or there was a, a rock there, mm-hmm. or a, or a, a big rut in the road, they were they would go ahead and prepare the way, fulfill mm-hmm. the rut in. They were kind of like the um, not only the uh, announcers, mm-hmm. the, the front the front people. Uh, but they were the, um, uh, the kind of like the highwaymen. Yeah. So prepare the way of the Lord. So you you, re, you read that um, in in I think it's in Matthew and some of the other gospels about John the Baptist going forth and preparing, preparing the, way. the way for. So that's tough. So Love his that. in any job, jo- was to in any job mm-hmm. some of the toughest parts of doing a project is the preparation. Always. it's not the finishing of it. That requires a lot of skill, too, but it's the preparation. Gathering That's the most stuff. arduous, and boring. it seems like boring, but, but you've got to do it. Otherwise, uh, the Mundane. project won't be done <laughs> properly. Yeah, it's like that on any project. You know, That first part of it is the most boring and mundane. But to give knowledge of salvation to his people, he had to rekindle in the people's hearts the, the hope, the revelation, uh, prepare their hearts to receive this, long-awaited, so long-awaited promise that it had been kind of dusty and obscured and, and given up on, kindled their faith, their revela- the recognition, and, to, and by the remission of sins through the tender mercies of our God. So they had been filled with sins. They had been uh, corrupted. Um, uh, I think sin, sin dulls us. It, it hardens our hearts. It, gives us, it takes away our hope. And the remission or the forgiveness of sins was what John brought as a message through the tender mercy of our God. He's not saying God is showing up on the scene now to bring correction and to beat you up and to to deal with you because you've been so unbelieving and so rebellious. He says, 
through the tender mercy of our God, God was coming to bring remission of sins um, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So he kind of grew up in the hill country of Judea, I imagine playing among the sand and the dunes and the hills and the, the cactus or whatever was over there, and got very familiar with that kind of solitude. And you know, really, that's the kind of solitude we need um, to maintain our sanity, even these days, and to focus on the Lord God and what he's saying, because there are so many voices, distractions, expectations, opinions out there that if you do not take at least three to ten minutes every day to just turn everything off, shut everything down, or slip away into a quiet place, most of the time it happens to be your closet, actually, that's where... <laughs> that's where great things have been done and Jesus says enter into your prayer closet so if you don't do that you are very likely a candidate to lose your mind you mm-hmm. have got to be quiet you've got to hear what God is saying and there's no substitute for it there's no substitute of good deeds there's really not even a substitute of reading the Bible you have to just get in there and be quiet before God as John in the wilderness which was his prayer closet and hear what the Lord is saying to you, because we are in very confusing and treacherous times. Many voices, many demands, many, um, and, and you know, all that stuff, Jerry, in the, the modern day that we listen to, the talk radio shows, the political this, the debates, the everything, the news, um, uh, Fox, whatever it is you want to listen you think you've got a better version of the news, the the internet, uh, internet, what's it? Something global daily net, something or other. Not daily. You know, what are you going to do about that? Except mm-hmm. get mad, get anxious, get upset. You're not going to do anything about that. For one thing, number one, it's already been prophesied. This is all part of the pro- the prophecy, the process. When you see things get worse and worse, then you can rejoice in the fact that Jesus is getting nearer and nearer. Our redemption, our re- this re- rescue is an ongoing thing. Jesus came to redeem us, and that he did. But the rescue, ongoing rescue, is being committed from generation to generation and from soul to soul. And he wants to redeem us, rescue us from the hand of our enemy. And you don't get rescued by listening, by sitting in the presence of your enemy and constantly eating at his table and being, you know, allowing him to intimidate you. You get strengthened by being quiet before the Lord God who is the God of all, all strength. In Psalm 23, it says uh, he, he prepares a table before us in the, in pres- the presence of our enemies. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of the world full of enemies, we just, he says, sit down and eat. Have Yeah, let's have lunch. And let's have lunch. Yeah, and, he says, and the DMZ. <laughs> yeah, in the DMZ. He said. <clears throat> Missiles flying overhead. In uh, Psalm 46 and verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. Amen. I will be I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah, which means so, this. So. And that's a good segue to put a pause in our discussion today. You can think on these things and talk about the actual events of Jesus' birth. And then 
we'll have to put another pause for 30 years while he grows up. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, well, we just want to make sure that God has uh, been able to encourage you today and to know that he is God. And, you know, if you can just take away one thing from our, our conversation today, let it be that you are loved by God. Even if you're ordinary, you can do great and extraordinary things. You are born for such a time as this. You're not an accident. You're not uh, a mistake. You are God's daughter, God's son, called to live in such a time as this. So, Father, again, we thank you for your masterful, marvelous, miraculous, awesome acts to the sons of men, that you are able to be with us even in every affliction, and that you will allow uh, the enemy, obviously, to test your workmanship in us, but that you uh, cause us to prevail. Even from the foundation of the world, you determined our place and who we would be and what we would do. And so, Father, we thank you that it's in your hands. We're not being irresponsible. We're being instead greatly blessed and rejoice in your goodness that you are the one who completes the work that you begun in us and you are faithful to complete it. So we stop stressing and start resting in the fullness of your capable hands. In Jesus' name, bless our week and may we be a blessing to others because of it. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord do extraordinary things to you, through you, and for you in these days. Amen. Even this week. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location?